God will say. And um, today is a, a little different service. If you've been with us for the last several weeks, you know that today is stretch Sunday. Today we take a stretch, and as we increase our stretch, we expand our reach. You, you, if you want to reach further, you have to stretch further. And um, sometimes we want to reach further without going deeper, just like the song said. We want to go deeper, but are we willing to let go of those things that we need to let go of that will allow us to go deeper? You know, in any instance, if you want to go deeper in water, if you want to go higher in the air, if you want to go further, if you want to go faster, there is always abandonment involved. There's always a neglecting that takes place. There's always a letting go of. And sometimes, um, you know, what you're willing to lay down today is an indicator of where you're willing to go tomorrow. And um, I, I want to, as a church, go further. And, um, you know, I, I hear some people say go further faster. Well, I'm, I just want to go further according to God's timing. Amen. Um, I'm not so much into having to do something in a hurry, although I do believe that we are in the last days. Um, but sometimes I believe people get ahead of themselves and they do something too fast. They do too much too quick. And um, they may have growth, but they sacrifice health for growth. And um, you've got to identify what you're willing to let go, but also what you're not willing to compromise in the midst of that. And so if you want to grow in God and you want to go deeper in God and you want to stretch, um, you're going to identify what you need to let go of, but you also need to identify what you value and what you're going to keep and what you will not compromise and what you will not let uh, come between you. So it's, it's important as we've been talking about generosity. Um, generosity is simply letting go of something. And I read a quote earlier this week. It said, generosity is what keeps the things we own from owning us. Generosity is what keeps the things we own from owning us. If you want an indicator of your level of generosity, or if you want an indicator of if something owns you or not, we say that a lot, right? Uh, God's okay with us owning things as long as the things don't own us. And if you want to know, uh, you need to test yourself and what you're willing to let go of. Jesus did this. This isn't a... Uh, a new age thing. Jesus went to the, when the rich young ruler uh, came to Jesus, he said, okay, here's one thing that you lack. He had a lot. And sometimes when you have a lot, it can be hard to identify what you lack. But Jesus will, has a way of getting down to the bottom, right? He has a way of getting to the root of the issue. He said, there's one thing you do lack. There's one thing you're willing, uh, you're unwilling to let go of. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and we've said this before. We've ministered this before. Um, he's not trying to make the rich man poor. God is not interested in you living at the bottom um, so that He can get glory. Uh, God knows how to get glory if you're at the top. As long as while you're at the top, you continue to honor the one that got you there. Amen. And uh, so He was. He wasn't trying to, you know, get this man into a position where. Uh, uh, you know, he wouldn't have anything, so he had to rely on Jesus and had to rely on God. He was trying to get him to a position of letting go of himself. And what you'll find out today as we take up our stretch offering, and uh, many of you know that we've been preparing for this day for several weeks now. And um, I, I pray that you have sought the Lord and, and, and asked the Holy Spirit what he would have you give. 
Uh, but more importantly, it's not about what you give today. It's about how you give it. And ultimately, what God is looking for, he's not looking for a level of finance. He's looking for a level of faith. And ultimately, what God is looking for, you know, he told uh, through the prophet Samuel, he told King Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice. Because obedience demands sacrifice. Obedience always demands that to obey God, you're going to have to strip yourself of yourself. You're going to have to let go of everything you want to do. If you if you are in this, if you have this idea that one thing you're going to desire everything God wants and you're going to want to go the path that God wants and everything that God speaks to you in your spirit and in your heart is going to align with what you feel and what you want. And it's going to be comfortable and convenient. You'll never achieve the purpose of God for your life. I'm, I'm, I'm here today to challenge someone. And we can we can challenge on a couple levels today. Um, today, I, we might be challenging an individual uh, to create a pattern of discipline in giving. You you may not have had the heart or the habit of uh, giving to a local church and giving of your tithe, giving of the first 10 percent. Um, that might not be a habit today. I hope that today we can initiate that pattern and that habit and that movement that God has blessed me. And so now I am returning to the king. The one has the Lord who is the provider who owns it all. He is going to get the uh, what he has marked off that first 10 percent um, uh, according to his word. I'm going to begin a habit of doing that. I haven't been doing that, but I'm going to do that. And then there are those that you have been consistently doing. But you know what I have found is that there's a fine line between practice and purpose. There's a fine line between practice and purpose, and there's this funny thing that happens. There's this risk that shows up that the more we practice, the more we have the tendency to forget the purpose. It just becomes ritual. It just becomes practice. It just becomes religious practice. And and this is the thing that Jesus uh, was the most... Uh, um, what what was the most steadfast against trying to disconnect people from was an idea that doing something made me become something. And he was trying to switch people over to the fact that who you are determines what you do. Who you are determines what you do. You are in the kingdom, so therefore we give. If you've ever heard someone say, man, if, if you would tithe more, if you would give more, you'd be more of a Christian. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You can't be any more of a Christian than the day you became born again. Now, there are practices and there are things that we can do to make it fruitful and become more evident. But Jesus isn't saying, okay, you're on level two and I'm trying to get you to level ten. You're in the body of Christ. You are his. You are his child. Do not buy the lie that if I do something, I become something. What this church preaches is because you are something, we do something. This is how we behave. This is how we act. And, and, and so Jesus is constantly trying to move people from actions determining who you are into helping them identify this is how you see you. This is how I see you. Now this is what you do. This is what he did with the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. They wanted to stone her. The Pharisees, the religious leaders. Thank God Jesus wasn't a religious leader. If you think Jesus was a religious leader, we've got to read our Bible a little further. He was a government-minded individual. Jesus had no interest in religion. Jesus had no interest in, in the religious uh, thought process that he was, uh, you know, that was introduced to him while he was on the planet. He came as a government official. He came as a king. And the only thing he was interested was 
uh, in, in was bringing his kingdom from heaven to, to the earth. That's all he was interested in. Everything he talks about, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is like this, and the kingdom of God is like that. I mean, that's all he ever talked about was the kingdom. He was a government official on assignment, on a mission, trying to help people understand that the king wants his children, wants his citizens to act and operate a certain way. So when those individuals brought that woman out, and, and, and said, you've been caught in the act of adultery. Now we're going to stone you to death according to the law. Well, no wonder they would go to the law because that's all that they were caught up in was just religious ritual. That's what the law says. And when you, when you look at the law, you lose the heart. When you identify with the law, you lose the heart. You lose the heart behind anything that God ever intended in his word. You lose the heart behind anything that Jesus was ever ministering about. Jesus was always trying to get to the heart of the matter. And he looked, he looked at the woman, he said, where are your persecutors? Where are those that are accusing you? He said, neither do I accuse you because there's only one that comes to bring accusation. There's only one that comes to attack and to uh, uh, belittle you and make you feel smaller than you really are. God will never do that. He said, neither do I accuse you. Now, go and keep doing what you were doing. No, he said, go and sin no more. Because of who you are, this is what you do. And so when we're talking about finance, when we're talking about generosity, when we're talking about giving, we're not trying to get you to practice something or do something that will make you become more of something. We're identifying the true nature of believers in the kingdom of God, and it's to be generous, and it's to see the, the needs of the house Matt, you know there is a house. Psalms chapter uh, 127, verse 1. Psalms 127, in verse 1. You may have heard this before. Psalms 127. It's the biggest book in there, so it should be relatively easy to find. Psalms 127. And verse 1 says, Unless the Lord... Builds the house. Who builds the house? The Lord. They labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. There's two dangers that are happening in the church today. There are houses that are being built that God has no participation in. We're building structures and we're building temples and we're building these buildings. It's just architecture. It's just sheetrock and metal and, and wood and, 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 and paint and all the, the fine looking things. But at the end of the day, God's not even involved in the process. Today, I want to talk to you about being involved. So I want to talk to you about a house that is being built. There's a house that's being put together. But there's participation that's involved. There's a requirement that God is looking for. It says they labor in vain. It doesn't say not to labor. It says to make sure, make sure that your labor is not in vain. Make sure that your labor isn't just work and you're not just spinning your wheels and you're not just working hard, blood, sweat, and tears and, and sun up to sun down, burning the candle at both ends. And then at the end of the day, God's not even involved in the process. I'm telling you today that Anchor Faith Church, 
we are committed to making God involved in the process. Why would I want to build a house? Why would I want to work so hard on a house that I need God to inhabit? I need his presence. I need his spirit. I need his leading. I need his guidance. I need his direction. I don't have all the answers. We don't have a leadership team that has all the answers. Corporate boards don't have all the answers. Congregations don't have all the answers. It doesn't matter how long you've been in Bible school, gone to school, how long you've been in ministry, your experience. None of that matters when it comes to what is needed on a day in and day out basis. What we need this morning and what we need every Sunday morning that we come together is we need God's presence to show up. We need God's direction to lead us and we need his word to empower us. That's what we need. We need his presence so that we know he's here. We need his direction so we know where to go and we need his word so we're equipped to get there. Do you hear me? We need these things working and operating otherwise we're just fellowshipping otherwise it's just practice and practice doesn't have power anybody ever gone to watch an nfl team practice they're not filling stadiums for that they're filling stadiums for the big show they're filling the stadiums on the weekend and they're packing it out and hopefully the practice yields the result and the fruit on the field But I can tell you right now, not one of those fans wants to show up and watch a team that didn't practice. So there's involvement that we need. There's participation. There's practice involved. But I don't want practice minus power. And God is saying right here, there's an equation. The Lord's building a house. You're laboring. We're laboring. This church is here. To labor. This church is here to work. There's too much of this city that we need to reach. There's too much more influence that needs to expand. And and when we expand our reach, it requires us to increase our stretch. We cannot reach until we've stretched. And I'm not just talking about stretching naturally. I'm talking about stretching our faith. And things grow as a result of stretching. Things grow. When, when, you, when you maximize your efforts and you make sure, God, I want you to be a part of this process, he'll make sure that he gets involved. But, but he, he's not going to get involved. Why would you ask someone to come help you pick up something to move it, and the second they show up, you leave? That's rude. God, I need your help. Okay. Jesus, take the wheel. Right? And there's times that God needs to intervene and God needs to take some control. Yes, but he's not trying to do it aside from you, aside from your participation. The Lord builds the house. And you'll never find one time in God's word where I said this last week, that God built a house without our participation. In the wilderness, in the he brought a bunch of slaves out of Egypt, got them out into the wilderness, trying to go into the promised land. And he says, build me a tabernacle for me. And we've said this before. We don't build a church for people. We build a church for God. We build a church where people can meet God. The tabernacle was built for God, but that that then became the meeting place that he would meet with his people. This is what this house is about. This is a meeting place. Our goal every week is that you become, you go, you, you come face to face with your king. You, you get to know your God. You get to know your father. You get to know your creator. Because he has a plan and a destiny and a purpose for your life. And if you'll come in here and you'll meet him and he'll touch your heart 
He'll touch your mind. He'll renew your life. And then you walk back out there, now able to touch someone else's life. Now able to make a difference in the world rather than waiting to get out of the world. But see, that, that kind of preaching reduces the crowd a little bit. You look in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. And verse 35 says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Man, if we could just have Jesus here doing that today, right? If we could just have Jesus. Man, if Jesus would come and if Jesus was preaching today, would y'all be here? I hope so. If If I put out on Facebook, guest speaker this weekend, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He's coming. He's going to be here. Special healing service. He's going to preach on the kingdom. And then he's going to heal and he's going to do signs and wonders. Well, we'd pack this place out, wouldn't we? And do you think people's lives would be touched? And do you think people's lives would be changed? I would think so. But, but look at verse 36. We can go off of example. But when he saw the multitudes, when he saw the people, after he did all those wonderful things, he was moved with compassion because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Even after Jesus ministers his powerful message and even after Jesus touches and heals and anoints and, and, and demonstrates and do, does all the wonderful signs and wonders that we want to see today, that we want to see deaf ears open and the blind eyes open and the, the lame walking, even after all those things, there's still people weary and there's still people scattered and there's people that are like sheep with no shepherd. Who are we to think that if I could just talk to them or if they would just come to church, they would get this and they would get that? No, there's more to it. What is, the, what is it that we need? Then he said to his disciples. So there's a multitude. Then there's a group of disciples. Disciples means follower, pupil. It means one that studies after a teacher. He said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Why does God need laborers? He's building the house. Why does he need someone to do the work? Why does he need someone to get involved? The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would come down to the earth and preach and teach and do all the signs and wonders so everybody would get saved again. No, that's not what it says. It says pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, send out workers. Send out people to do it. So he just went from the multitude that's weary, scattered, and and lost. And then he went to the group of disciples. And now he says, now I'm looking for laborers. You've followed me. You've learned after me. You've heard everything I've taught. But now I'm looking for someone to do the work. And it goes into Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1. Look what Matthew chapter 10 verse 1 says. And when he had called his, out of all that he got 12. Twelve participators. Twelve laborers. Out of the multitude that's lost and scattered, and Jesus with all his power and all his anointing and, 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 and all that he was as the Son of God in flesh, still seeing a weary, scattered, lost assembly. And then we see 
a group of disciples, people that have come along and said, I'll follow you. I want to be a part of your mission. I want to come hear what you got to say. I'll follow you. I want to learn after you. But then how do we go from learners to doers? How do we go from being a believer to becoming a disciple? And out of all that, we end up with 12. 12 participators. Not, not everybody will connect at the same level. Not everybody will get involved. Not everybody will labor. Some will deny Christ. Some don't want to follow him at all. Others will say, I- I'll follow you as long as it's comfortable and as long as it's convenient, as long as it feels good. But, but don't, don't challenge me. Don't challenge me to, to live my life different. Don't challenge me to let go of some habits and behaviors. Don't, don't challenge me to give of my finance. Don't challenge me to do a little bit more. Don't challenge me to, to be a part of the local church and help get involved and be a part of the process. And then there will be 12. There will be 12. There will be a small group out of the large group that God says, these are the ones that are the laborers that are going to go out. They're going to go out and they're going to help reach the weary and the lost and the scattered. They're going to be a part, be a part of the process. This is what God is looking for today. This is what he is looking for out of his people. There are those that are lost and there are believers that claim that they are following Jesus, but then there are those that actually get involved and get their hands dirty, and they say, what can I do? How can I be of support? Challenge me. I want to grow. I want to break down everything that I thought I was about. I want to let go of everything. I want to abandon all. I give you all so that I surrender to your will, because I can't have my way in your way. This isn't Burger King. This isn't have it your way. It's have it his way. And he's promised us if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If we would seek first, go after him first, make a priority in our following of Jesus and be a participator and say, what is the one thing? Who who is willing to ask Jesus, please show me what the one thing is? If I'm not self-aware enough, if I don't if I don't have the notion to identify what my one thing is, please reveal to me what my one thing is. My one thing might be my my, my family. My one thing might be uh, my job. My one thing might be my money. Whatever my one thing is, please reveal that so I can let it go so I can follow you. These are the individuals that Jesus is looking for. These are the individuals that God is raising up. In these last days, look at Second Corinthians chapter nine. God is building a house. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 16, he told Peter, and I will build my church. And he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You will have the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's what his, those were his words. But he said, I'm taking personal interest. I am personally involved in building my church. But I need you to labor with me. 
This is what he's asking of us today. Who's willing to labor with Jesus? Who's willing to help him build, build the church? Second Corinthians chapter nine. Verse one. Now concerning the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians that Achaia was ready a year ago and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready, lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. What he's saying is, is you told us a year ago you were going to give. You told us a year ago that you were intending on blessing the church in Macedonia. And there was zeal and you even got some other people excited about it. But now we're about to now we're about to determine if your practice lines up with your purpose. Now we're about to find out if it was just intentions or if it's actual practice. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. Don't allow your intention to become your obligation. He said, you intended to a year ago. Now we're coming to receive the gift. But make sure that you're still generous to do that. Make sure that you're not just giving it because we're asking for it. Because giving is not an obligation. It's an opportunity. He says, make sure that it's not grudgingly. Or um, um, that it's not out of grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes, not practices. Let each one give as he purposes. Remember why, not just doing it. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace, all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower. You got to be a sower if you want the seed. It doesn't work the other way around. People say, well, I'll sow when I have it. No, he says, if you'll sow, you'll get it. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. God cannot increase seed you don't sow. God cannot increase fruit you don't give. God cannot multiply. If that young boy would have never brought the five loaves and the two fish, Jesus could have never gotten it into his hands. Because God can do way more with what you have once it's in his hands. How silly could that child have felt bringing five loaves and two fish? And you know why it was a child? It had to be a child because that's something my son would do. My son would say, I, I, I could be saying, man, we don't have enough money to do this. And my son will go empty the piggy bank and give me a $10 bill and say, here you go, dad. An adult would never do that. You would never hear me complaining about my bills and, then, and give me a $5 bill and say, will this help? 
Not unless you're being sarcastic and trying to mock me. But my son will do it out of out of a true desire to be a participant, to say whatever I've got, it's got to be a something. You've got to be able to do something with this. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't, you know, uh, make, you know, come up with weird ideas in these Bible stories. But I just wonder if there were some other people there that thought, well, I've got a lunch, but I ain't going to do anything for anybody else. I just keep it to myself. I don't know. But a young child with the faith of a child said, will this help? And Jesus said, that's all I need. I'm wondering today, who's got five loaves and two fish? I'm wondering today. Don't, don't compare. If we, if we had a, a weight bench up here, a, a, a bench press up here, and got the men up here, all of you would be able to lift according to different abilities. It would be ridiculous for, for me to compare my bench to Travis. That would be insane. This isn't a comparison. This is, this, is, this is my stretch. And God's the only one that knows what a stretch looks like for you. God's the only one that knows, are you, are you extending beyond what you could normally do? It's dangerous for me to stretch in this suit today. I might rip it. <laughs> Don't want that. But I want us to stretch today. Everybody. That might be $5 for one person. I mean, you may literally be behind. You say, man, I need this today. For others, it might be different. But God's looking for the obedience because sacrifice without obedience gets a firm rebuke. But when we say, I just want to be a part of the process. I just want to participate. I don't want to just practice. I want the purpose. I want to give with purpose. I want to give as I purpose in my heart. Verse 11, while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God, while through the proof of this ministry. I'm about to show you proof of this ministry. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. And by their prayers for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Your gift makes room for God's gift. Your gift makes room for God's gift. I want to make room. I want to make room. We're running out of room. We're effectively running out of room. In our children's classrooms, they feel it even much tighter than you made today. But I want to make room. Not just for people. I want to make room for people to meet with God. That's all my heart is. That's all my heart has been for the last six years. is to introduce people to the king. Introduce people to their father. Introduce people to who he's called them to be. I'm going to show you a video here. I want you to see what God has done. I want you to see the fruits of our labors. The proof of the ministry 
over the last six years. And because of what you have done, because of how you have gotten involved, God is meeting with people every day. 